I don't think you can have true excellence in life without having a focus on positively impacting others and the world around you. And I believe we're just created by God as humans to make, want to make that positive impact and leave a lasting legacy no matter where we're at. So a second part of that excellence for me is how am I maximizing my potential to, to make a positive impact in my family, my workplace, uh, my employees, and the community, and yeah, even the world. Welcome to the Edge of Excellence podcast. This show is for current and aspiring leaders that are dedicated to showing up every day in their lives with excellence. We break down the careers of those excelling so you can understand what is out there and how to rise up in every field you choose. Let's get the show on the road, shall we? Your host has spent his life promoting global entrepreneurship, helping 20-somethings find their passion and working to help others achieve excellence. CEO of CollegeWorks, Matt Stewart. Welcome to the show, and thank you for listening. We've got a great show with a really good guy. And in my line of work, I get to meet lots of great people, and Johnny is definitely one of them. We've got Johnny Ree on the show today, founder and CEO of Nextdoor Solar. He's led a life of impact, um, and he's just got back from installing solar fields in Colombia. A long life of culture building based on love and care and time spent. He's going to talk about his path to entrepreneurship and how he lifts others along the way. Welcome to the show and welcome to the Edge of Excellence. Johnny Reed, just back from Colombia in the Wajita region, installing solar and batteries and solar water farms, taking care of the world, being a great guy like he always is. Thank you for taking time away from your business, your community, and all that you do for the world to come on this show and share with the 20-somethings how they can do what you do. All right. Thanks for having me, Matt. I just really appreciate the opportunity to share and uh, really appreciate just uh, the relationship we've had over so many years. And I can just think about how impactful my experience and my time was with you, working with you. So it's just an absolute honor to be here today. Wow. And the feeling is mutual. We still use your videos and we still use your systems. And I still rip pages out of that, that system sales training system book you made for us. So you live strong in all of our companies, actually. We took all your stuff and we put it in all the different companies. So thanks for all that you've done. It's been a wonderful relationship. And we're going to dive right into it because Johnny's got kind of a few different faces. He's got a community face, which takes a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of money. And he, he comes from a family that does a lot for the community. He's got a family face and he's a great husband and great parent. And then he's got a business face, a wonderful entrepreneur right out of UCLA, not USC, because we love UCLA. We're going to start off the way we always start off, Johnny. What's your definition of excellence? Well, Matt, for me, um, I think excellence comes down to two things. And I'm just going to take a page out of John Wooden because he's just a hero of mine. Oh, but yes. Yeah. You love John Wooden. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so excellence to me is like this peace of mind, which is a direct result of self-satisfaction and knowing you made the best effort to become the best you're capable of becoming. And that's what John Wooden said. And, it, and it's really uh, this idea that it's not about a comparison to others, but that excellence should be really measured against your own potential, right? Will I be better today that I, you know, but today than I am yesterday? Am I going to be more thoughtful, impactful, and purpose-driven than I am today? And uh, do my habits and like my actions and like do those intentions reflect a better version of myself tomorrow? So to me, it's really just about this um, obsessive pursuit of like gradual development. So I think that's the first part of excellence. And then secondly, for me, excellence, I don't think you can have true excellence in life without having a focus on positively impacting others and the world around you. And I believe we're just created by God as humans to make, want to make that positive impact and leave a lasting legacy no matter where we're at. So a second part of that excellence for me is how am I maximizing my potential to make a positive impact in my family, my workplace, uh, my employees and the community and yeah, even the world. So the peace of mind that comes from knowing you've put in your best effort to be the best you can be 
while impacting others in the world around you. And it's an obsessive pursuit. I love that. This I don't know what episode this is, 110, 115. That might be my favorite definition of excellence that I've heard along the way. So thank you for sharing that. And you sure live it, right? You sure live it. I've always known Johnny, and, and it's important. I was just doing another recording. It's important to, to focus on the impact of work ethic and the pursuit of excellence. You could be the smartest. You could be the most talented. You could have the greatest invention. But if you're not obsessively pursuing and constantly um, developing, you're not going to be excellent. And then I like how you throw in there. And if you're just doing it for yourself, if you're a narcissist, it doesn't really matter. How are you impacting others as you're impacting your world around you? Well, thank you for sharing that, Johnny. And I'm gonna we're gonna get into uh, um, your life really quickly. But what I want to spend the most of our time here today is talking about how you're able to crush it at work, crush it at home, and then you just got back from Colombia taking care of uh, um, people in a different country that that needed water, and you came up with a way to fund their desalinization plant and get them safe drinking water and came up with a way to uh, actually take some people that you knew and hook up their school with power in a part of the world that maybe people don't even know exists. So I want to get into the balance. But before we do, let's just go back in time. You grew up a different life than a lot of people. Your parents were missionaries. You were born in Korea. I was born in Korea to a Korean family. Parents were missionaries in high school. You went to the Faith Academy in Manila, a boarding school. Your parents were in Indonesia, and then you uh, ended up at UCLA. So tell us, your life's a little different than a lot of people that are living at home with their family, that are playing Little League, um, dealing with uh, you know the normal struggles of American childhood. What was life like? What was different? And how did it help you later in life, some of the things that you experienced back then? Well, I I, th I think for, for me, life was obviously much different growing in, up in a lot of third world countries and seeing poverty like you wouldn't have believed at times uh, seeing. And I think when I came to college, I was, you know, I was I was really introverted and, and I was kind of a hermit. But a, a big part of me was just that I was so full of gratitude. I just had this profound sense of responsibility to be like excellent based on this really fortunate set of gifts that were given to me. And I mean, I remember at UCLA, there was days where I was walking down Bruin Walk on campus and I was like, I genuinely wondered what I'd been, what I'd done to be deserved to be so lucky to be at UCLA. And I, I thank my parents just because uh, they nurtured me to work hard and they made decisions to give me the best education possible. And they were tough decisions, you know, to send your kid away to a boarding school because the schooling was not adequate um, where you were working and to send them away starting they were second grade. That's a, that's a tough decision. And my parents had to sacrifice so much for me. And I think for me, when I came to UCLA, just knowing um, where I came from and the background I came from, the price of just failing was so much higher than the price of success. So I just was so grateful. And I think when you have this like attitude of gratitude, you just attack life differently. You attack your classes differently, your jobs and your opportunities so differently. And I've always told people that the more you express gratitude for what you have, the more you will have to express gratitude for. And certainly that was the case when I was at UCLA that I was just so grateful. And then, you know, because you're attacking life like that, different opportunities come to you. And it was just, that was just really amazing to see, you know, to be at UCLA, to be at what I consider to be the greatest university on the, in the world. And what I consider also to be the greatest country in the world, to be in the U.S. It was just, it was something that was kind of magical for me. And I think that that chip on my shoulder was very different than a lot of my peers at UCLA. So um, there's a bunch there. So let's just start with the price of failure is higher than the price of success. And I just want to pause there because you know, you're listening to this right now in your car at 1.5 speed. You didn't grow up in Manila. You didn't grow up in third world countries. You may have grown up with a silver spoon in your mouth. You may, you may have grown up homeless. I don't know. But you're at a point where things are hard. It's hard to find a job. It's hard to find your passion. It's hard to do well in school. Wherever you're at, everything's hard. But the price of failure 
is probably higher than the price of success. You got to pay a price for success. You got to work hard. You got to stay focused. You got to say no to certain things. There's a price to be paid, but there's also a price to be paid for failure. So you're sitting there as this young person in college realizing the price of failure is higher than the price of success. And you got a chip on your shoulder. Why do you have a chip on your shoulder? Well, I, I think when you have a chip on the, the shoulder, it comes from, hey, like I, I'm this is I'm not from here, right? I have, you know, I I don't know the culture well at UCLA. You know, I was just I was like immersed in American culture, um, and it was just really different. And then just coming from this background of not having this shared experience, not having a ton of friends, you know, and definitely I was very introverted in general to begin with. So I think because of that, I just felt like I had to work harder than everybody else to succeed. I have a friend, uh, his name's Craig Atkins, uh, and we're sitting in a meeting one time and uh, he said, never waste a good chip on your shoulder. And he only hires people with the chip on their shoulder with something pushing them, something driving them. And if you're listening right now, what is that chip? And quit complaining about it. Quit whining about it. What is that chip and how can you use that to fuel you? For me, it was Julie Johns. I had to crush that family. And it's not a positive way of thinking. And I became positive and I got over it, but I came out of New Mexico with a chip, um, a negative chip. Johnny has a positive chip. Um, he's not quite fitting in, but he feels he's lucky. He's got to earn it. He's got to make it happen. He's got something to prove. Okay. So we're going to get back to your story. You go to UCLA and I, and by the way, I just want to comment. Every single day I think about you. Do you remember I gave you that basketball? Yeah, I still have it. It's in my library right now. And I don't I know much it. about sports, <laughs> but it was signed by two famous people. Who were they? Uh, Bill Russell and John Wooden. Bill Russell, John. No, was it Bill Russell and John Wooden? Uh, no, I'm, it was Bill Russell and another player. Oh, no, Bill Russell and Bill Walton. Sorry. Bill Walton. Bill Russell, yeah, Bill sorry. Walton. They came and um, signed some basketballs at something I was at. I got one for Johnny. I got one for me. So mine sits in my closet. And I don't really know much about sports, but I always look at that. I keep it there to remind me of you, by the way. <laughs> oh, so, nice. At, yeah, hey, you know, never know how you touch people. So you're at UCLA. You got this chip on your shoulder and you're getting great grades and you're using that chip to get ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and in college, did you know what you wanted to do for a living? No, I really didn't. You know, I, I, I knew that I was more analytical. So uh, I started off thinking that I was going to be in engineering and computer science. So that's kind of how I started. Uh, obviously, that changed uh, quite a bit uh, as I went through my college career. But yeah, that's, that's where I initially thought I was going to be. Do you know what your disc score is? I don't remember, honestly. It's been so long. I know I'm a high eye. That's about all I know. Yeah. So you're so, so you you come across as an analytical person, but really deep down inside, you're an influencer person. And now you're in this world of performance coaching, which is it, it influencing. And then you're running this this home improvement business, a solar business, which has a lot of influencing. So interesting. So in college. You were trying to get ahead. You weren't trying to get ahead. You ended up doing the college works thing for quite a long time. Uh, what was going on? Why did you Why did you jump at an internship um, in business if you're trying to be analytical? Well, I, I think for me initially, it just started off as the money, and I I came to UCLA and they had accepted me. And uh, as soon as I got there, they had uh, basically decided that they are going to uh, charge me out of state tuition, and uh, yeah, the loans weren't quite covering that, and I. Kind of looked at it and said, "Well, look, I can either decide to work and figure out this thing, or I might have to drop out of school and go to community college for a bit." So I was sitting in my classroom. I, I remember to this, to this day, it was Math Thirty One B, and uh, sitting in there, and somebody came in and said, "Hey, you can make fifty eight hundred dollars for the summer." And I was like, "Man, I I don't know what that is, but it, sign me up for that." Because uh, the previous summer, you know, I'd come in and I'd worked at Jamba Juice for a bit, and you know, I was like, "Yeah, I can't make that at Jamba Juice." So that makes a ton of sense to me. I don't know what that is, but let, let's do that. Okay. So you so you signed up. You're a college works manager. You did really well, I'm assuming, your first year. I did. I did pretty well. I was actually manager of the year that year. So Okay. Do you still have your plaque? I do. Uh, somewhere. My runner-up plaque is toppled over right over there. So you're manager of the year. Uh, you decide, hey, I made some good money. This is a great experience for me. You become district manager. Um, and then you general manager and then VP. Is that how it went? 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's kind of the track. VP in Southern California. And then you moved to this position where you were training other VPs called an EVP. And eventually you sold your shares in the California division and became a full-time EVP, right? Correct. And so during that time, and you know, this shows about finding your path. Um, during that time, you're inventing these systems for us. And you're inventing the training handbook and the, I forget what it was called, the Eddie the Eagle book that had all the scripts in it. And so we were this disjointed business with 90 different ways of doing things. And it, depending on who you work with, that's the way you did it. It was kind of a mess. And you were the start of not having practices, but best practices and honing in the system to come up with one system, which we've honed it in a lot since you left. No longer, you know, people just do things different ways. We figure out what's the best way. So you're the kind of guy that started, you're the guy that started doing that with us, honing stuff in while you're supporting these other people. And then you exited and kind of that became your business, right? You started doing that for other companies. Yeah. So I started looking at uh, all these opportunities and I had some friends that had reached out uh, that had started other businesses and I was able to go through and, and work with them. You know, and it was it was a really interesting experience to like work in a business that's outside of construction for a while. And uh, that was like I learned actually a lot more from doing those types of opportunities than than um, than me helping them, actually. But uh, yeah, that 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 base of understanding that, hey, it's all about creating a system and a flow that can be easily replicated. Uh, a lot of businesses need that. And that was one of the things that I, I just enjoyed kind of developing and helping people make in their companies. So be, people listen to this because they're trying to figure out what to do for a living. And it always, I mean, almost every show it pops up that nobody really knows what they want to do. They're moving in a direction. And so you do you do the college works things because you want money, but you find out, hey, I'm pretty good at this organization, lead, manage sales. Then you do the district manager thing. Hey, I'm pretty good at teaching other people to do it. Then you do it in a different zone. But over the course of a few years, not one year, not three years, but a lot of years, um, you realize that one, you're good. Two, you like it. That becomes a unique ability. And three, you're honing in your skills of helping people hone in their skills, building systems, train, coaching. And so over time, it became evident that Here's what my skills are. It doesn't happen when you're 19. doesn't happen when you're 22 because you got to get some practice. And so you start practicing with these skills and you realize, hey, maybe I can do this elsewhere. And you go off and do it elsewhere. And so now you have your first business helping other people develop systems, replicating systems. And then you're also probably managing them on their implementation. Same thing you did before in a different industry. So, and that's how it works. It's these slight little adjustments, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And you did that for how long? Well, I did that on and off for a few years. I was still doing some, you know, work for you guys at the time. And I was doing the consulting, outside consulting. I was still working for you guys on a part-time basis. And then at the same time, I was also developing Nextdoor Solar uh, at the time. Uh, so I, was, I had kind of my hands uh, in a few different things uh, over time during that period. And we had you consulting because you were really good. We needed the help. So you didn't burn the bridge. You didn't abandon ship. You went off and did something else, but you kept a, a tether there. And people, sometimes people say, burn the ships, make it so you can't go back. That's not what you did. You kept helping us. And then you were trying two different things out. You didn't know which would work. And they both worked out, right? Yeah, yeah. So you started Absolutely. Johnny Reed Consulting and you started Nextdoor Solar at the same time. Yes. And and, and before, I want to get into the balancing here in a second. You know, how long ago was that? That was uh, so that was back in 2014 is when I started uh, really like diving into those other things. And 2015 is when we launched Nextdoor Solar and it was really part time. I just wanted to see how that played out. And, you know, is this industry viable? So I think is really between the period of 2014, 15 is is kind of when I started and then really like I was dabbling in multiple things between like 2015, 16 and I even into 17 a little bit. And then that's I think I transitioned really into focusing on the solar business generally full time in 2018. OK, so uh, 2008 years ago, and this is the same story always. Um, you try things out, you try things out. And if you're listening right now, get to trying Try, measure, adjust. Try, measure, adjust. You find out what you're good at. Step two, 
but maybe it's not monetizable. Maybe it's not all you're good at. Maybe you don't love it. So try, measure, adjust. Um, then you launch something. It doesn't become a success right away. In your case, you kind of got three things going. Other people say, burn the bridges, just do this one thing. And you try, measure, adjust, try, measure, adjust. And after a few years, you realize, okay, this is going well. This is viable. And it's been eight years, but probably three or four of those years weren't making money, weren't too successful. Probably why you kept doing your consulting stuff with us. Um, it takes a while to get the traction and now the traction's going. And what's the big lesson in the transition from experimenting and adjusting and measuring to getting the traction going for you? Well, I, I think um, like when I when I kind of think about like what happened with working with, with uh, you and Jeff and Spence is um, I think that was really valuable for me. And um, I, I think when you like are in a job and this is for just young people in general, I, what I kind of advise them is that, you know, how do I make myself valuable for my boss? And how do I have that owner's mentality? Like I, when I worked for you guys, I didn't own the business, but I really treated the job as if it was my own business. And I always tried to take the initiative to go above and beyond to create those types of systems that you're talking about, the training manuals, the videos, whatever it may be, I just felt like, like if I'm going to do something, right? If I'm going to be in this role, why not do it well? Why not do it with 100% effort so that that you and the people that you can touch can get the most out of it? So I just, I that was just kind of how I always kind of attack things, right? As like if I was just tasked to do something small, like even doing like a, a at a, a a DM training, if I was tasked to doing a speech, I would. I would spend 10 hours preparing for a 40 minute training to develop, deliver like max value. And I know other people would spend an hour and just kind of wing it. And for uh, me, that just I remember a, when you got upset about that and we started yeah. rating the speakers. Yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah, I mean, so I just, I just didn't feel like that was the way to go. And if you're going to do something, you know, like do it a hundred percent. And there's this thing going around right now, like this idea of quiet quitting, let's just do the bare minimum to get by. In young people, and uh, if you're working for somebody else, why do more? You know, why do more when you're not getting paid to do more? And I've always told young people, like, when you do more than you are paid to do, eventually you will get paid for for more than what you do. So if you're really that good, you know, people just won't ignore you. So be so good that it's exceptionally clear that you're valuable. And I think if you take this approach of a owner's mentality, even if you're working for somebody else, you'll find that you grow and develop a lot more. And it'll prepare you for bigger opportunities, right? And that's kind of how I was able to transition into bigger opportunities is I, I was really working like I was the owner of the business and it allowed me to be uh, doing these other types of opportunities and be my own boss eventually. And I've always told even young people like they're like, hey, I, I want to run my own business one day. And um, so I'm not that passionate about working at this XYZ company. And I always tell them like, you know, how can you lead great employees when you yourself have never been a great employee? And I think it starts there. If you're, if you're like doing your absolute best and you're a great employee, then it is very easy down the line to lead great employees. I, I always remember what, that, that concept of quiet quitting. I always think of this movie and I forget which one it was. Maybe it was Highlander. And he says, it's better to burn out than to fade away. And I always think of that with quiet quitting. And I've seen it so many times. And I've seen it in a lot of volunteer roles. Like you move up in a board setting and you become chairman of the board. and You don't leave afterwards. Or you've had the same uh, job and you're kind of run down and you keep doing it. You're just not doing as, as well as you used to. You're not performing as well as you used to perform. And um, I haven't heard of it from the mindset of why people quiet quit. Well, if I'm working for the man, why would I work hard? But I think of it a lot as to why not, because people are measured by what have you done for me lately? So I see people that fade away from a business and they're in a role and they, you know, they want to retire, they want to move on, but they don't pull the trigger and they linger. And, and the longer you linger, the more damaged your reputation is. And I've seen it on boards. I've seen it in my own company. I've seen it in clubs. I've seen it all over the place. And I'm, I'm thinking of a couple people right now. It's like, Pull the plug, be done, because you're trashing your name and you're trashing your legacy. And if you've done so, if you're quiet quitting and you've all, never really been a good employee, like you're talking about, just quit and go be an employee somewhere. But even worse, you were awesome 
and you're quiet quitting and you're fading away, the last thing they're going to remember is your lack of performance. You're not getting a good reference. Uh, if someone calls and says, hey, did so-and-so work for you? Oh, yeah. Well, they were good before and then they were bad. I mean, you're not serving the organization or yourself. You're not serving your image, your reputation. And so in your case, um, you 100% all the time. And I don't I don't think of you as a person that's worried about um, uh, your legacy. I think of you as a person that's worried about your impact and you let the legacy live itself. Yeah, absolutely. Are you enjoying the show thus far? We go through so many resources and links with this podcast, it's tough to keep up. I get it. That's why Matt and the rest of the team put together the Edge of Excellence Bundle. In it, you'll find different tools that relate to overarching themes and topics of the show. Things like disk assessment tools, time management strategies and tactics, stress and anxiety management tools, exclusive videos and episodes from this podcast that is not released anywhere else, and so much more. The best part? As a valued listener of the show, you can access the Edge of Excellence bundle 100% for free of charge. That's right, for simply being awesome and tuning in. To get access, all you have to do is go to www.collegeworks.com podcast and fill out the short form there for us to get the bundle over to you. Once again, it's www.collegeworks.com podcast. Now, back to the show. I think impact and legacy to me are pretty synonymous, but it is something that I think everybody does think about. And it's it's about like, what kind of legacy or what kind of impact do I leave behind in this world? And I, I think, I think it, there's a difference between how you think about it. I think about my impact on a daily basis. Am I being the best? Like what you're talking about. Everything I do. How you do one thing is how you do everything. So if I'm going to go do a charity thing, I'm going to crush it. If I'm going to help a friend's kid out, I'm going to give them $100,000 worth of value. Um, impact, impact, impact. And in my case, it's paying people back for the impact they've had on me. Out of that, I now start to reflect and go, okay, my legacy is not too bad. But I never really thought of legacy. I thought about just impact, impact. I think other people think about legacy. And they're constantly thinking about legacy and glory, maybe. And they forget to focus on the daily impact. I think of you as a person that focuses on daily impact, do the best. What would you say earlier? Obsessive pursuit of constant development, positive impact on others and the world around you. Now, you haven't said those two phrases to me before today, but I have the impression of you. And Jeff has the impression of you. And Spencer, and we won't talk about Jay because you didn't talk about Jay, um, <laughs> have the impression of you as being that person. That's your reputation. That's who you are. And then the legacy follows. And I think it's important to clarify because if you're chasing around a legacy and you're not doing your best, trying your hardest, it's never going to come easy. Uh, if you love what you do and you think you're doing important work, it becomes easier to do it and then the legacy develops. And I want to dive into the legacy because you're a busy dude, right? You've got all this stuff going on. You've got a young family. How old are your kids now? Oh, they're actually getting older. My daughter is in the the pre-teenage uh, years now. She's she's 10. She's in fifth grade. And my son is eight now. Okay, that's a young family, dude. Uh, you, you still have a young family. But yet, you just took off to Columbia to put... Uh, uh, solar power into a desalinization plant. And by the way, desalinization plants don't run without power. And in certain parts of the world, there isn't a power grid. So Johnny took a team of people, I think people from your company, right? Correct. Yeah. And they went down uh, into very remote part of Colombia, which is a remote part of the world. And um, put together these this solar power for the uh, desalinization plant. And then, I don't know how you moved there. Did you hike? Did you drive? Did you ride an animal? Moved into uh, another area to, to put solar panel on a school. Again, no power grid. Maybe that solar power is taking care of health issues like sanitation. Maybe it's taking care of water pumps, but changing lives. And you took a significant period of time away from your family and away from your work to go do this. So why is balance important to you? Why is this impact important to you? And how do you work it into your schedule? 
for me, clean water is something that has been uh, just really a burden on my like on my heart for a long time. I don't know if Matt, if you remember, do you remember I used to have this like crazy scar on my uh, on my left cheek? Yes. Okay. So yeah, I got that surgically removed uh, right before I got married. Um, but that scar came from me doing a chore as a child, and I was pumping water you know, to bring into the house. And we had, we had a well on the back, on the back side of the house that I had to pump water and bring that in. And so just this idea that there's about 800 million people that lack access to clean drinking water. And um, about three and a half million people die from water related diseases every year. And about 2.2 million of them are estimated to be children. And that to me is just not really acceptable. And for me, out of all the injustices out there in the world, uh, this is this is to me the worst injustice out there. I mean, like there's other causes that are 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 obviously important, right? There's different injustices, but just access to clean water is so fundamental that I just I just can't get over it. And so I think that that drive, uh, the things that you're passionate about, uh, you end up making time for in your life. And I think that's that's something that's really important for your children to see too. So I I really try to let them know this is. This is how the world is. And this is what, as a family, this is what we're going to do to try to make things better. Okay. So you said that peace of mind comes from knowing you do your best in the beginning of the show. And then you said just now, this has always been bothering you. So inside, and if you're listening right now, there's something, and it doesn't matter what you pick because there's lots of causes in the world. So it can be water. It can be food. There's a lot of things you can focus on, but you're not doing your best. you you haven't done enough, so you're driven, you're driven. And then um, you want to make a positive impact on others. And entrepreneurship's about leverage so you can impact your family, you can impact your community, you can impact the people down in Columbia. So it's all coming together, and it's just a time management issue for you? It's just a prioritization issue for you? How, how does someone that's super busy in their 20s, just starting their career, get this done and make an impact like you're making? Well, I, I think one of the biggest things that um, College Works has taught me and is that really, it's not really the lack of direction or the lack of time, right? It's you just, you have to be good with your time management to have success. And um, we all have 24 hours in a day. And I just think that ultimately, when you have 24 hours in a day, there are some people that just make so much good with that. And some people that are really, really talented that that really don't have much to show for it at the end of the day. And uh, you remember Will Reeves. Uh, he was my DM. And I was in my freshman year uh, doing the internship. I was uh, doing a work-study job. I was taking a prereqs for engineering. So I was really busy and I, I was really stressed out and I didn't feel like I was doing a good job managing my time. And I remember having this conversation with Will on a on a meeting one week and I said look I'm really struggling I don't know if I can balance everything and he said look man I'm just going to solve all your problems today this is the system that we're going to implement and he said you're going to treat your work study job and your schoolwork like it's a 9 to 5 job like it's a full-time job and I said all right what like what do you mean he's like yeah I mean exactly that you're going to treat your schoolwork like it's a full-time job. Like if you worked a full-time job, what time would you wake up to get to work? You know, I don't know. I'm like, I don't know, eight, seven, eight, seven thirty-eight. I don't know. He's like, yeah, you'd you'd probably wake up at seven, you'd go and eat breakfast, you'd get things ready, and then you'd go to work. Right. And uh you would come home after five o'clock. And that's what I want you to do. I want you to wake up every day between seven and seven thirty, have breakfast, and I want you to be on campus by eight o'clock. And you're not allowed to leave campus until five. Right. And I'm like, well, well, I, you know, I don't even start class till 1030. Why, why, why would I go to campus early? He's like, no, no, you, you're going to go to campus early. And if you're not in class, you're going to be studying. And once you're done, you go to class and then you go to work study and you're not allowed to leave campus till five. And if you do this, you're never going to have to study after five o'clock ever again. And he's like, are you going to try it? And I said, OK, OK, I'll, I'll give it a try. And obviously, the first week, I didn't do any of it. And then the following week, he followed up with me like a good DM should and said, hey, are you doing the system? Are you doing the full-time job? And I said, oh, no, I didn't. And um, it was hard, you know, like, you know, when you're in college, you don't have that many classes, right? And everybody's waking up at whatever time they want to wake up at. 
But, you know, over time, I started to develop this like rhythm of getting up early, going to school, working on my schoolwork. If I had, if I had to go do my work study job, I did that. Then I went to my class. And then by five o'clock, you know, I was done. And I, what I noticed is that I was, that I'd have two or three hours of class, maybe a couple hours of work study, but then I was also studying and working on my schoolwork three to four hours a day. And then I'd get back and I was like one of the busiest people I knew on campus, yet I was the freest after five o'clock. And that allowed me to explore other things, whether it was socially or for the internship or for work. And I found that that kind of that habit of really micromanaging my time really propelled me for the rest of my college career. And that's what helped to set the foundation of how I kind of manage my time today, right? I just know that so much is capably done in 24 hours. And um, it's, it's, it's just something that I, it's just a part of who I am. It's a habit that I've developed over the years. And actually, that was what I did in college as well. And it was because I didn't have enough money for books. So I had to use the reserve book room, but it was an eight to five job. I went there and did my studying. I never had to study in the evening. I got to do, you get to do what you want. In my case, it was partying. In your case, saving the world. Uh, you basically learned to waste less time. I had somebody on my show recently, mother, homeschooling, design and development manager of $500 million worth of pro projects right now in real estate. And she just got third place in a marathon the other day, which you have to train for. And I said, how do you do that? She said, time management. So it was time management and prioritization. School is your priority from eight to 11, not screwing around time management. And so that taught you and shout out to Will Reeves, the Thanksgiving turkey guy. I'll never forget that. <laughs> I learned a lot from that guy. He, uh, so, so you, you figured out I can be more productive, get more done. You got your school done. Then you got your work done. And then that's carried through your life. So you can get your work done and get your family done. And I, that's the wrong way to say it. You can excel at work and just excel at being a dad and a husband and then really impact the community while you bring others into the community and create awareness going back to that organization and prioritization. So you don't waste much time. Yeah, absolutely. I I would say I don't waste a ton of time. Yeah. What do you do for fun? Um, you know, for fun, I you know, it's really like right now at this stage in my life, my fun is really with my kids. You know, spending time with them. I mean, I, I hate like, to tell you this, they're about to bail out on you in three more years. So you're <laughs> you're going to have a lot of time for fun soon. Yeah. So uh, yeah, people always say, "What are your hobbies?" And I'm like, honestly, I don't really have hobbies other than spending time with the kids. Every every free time that I have, I I, I just want to hang out with them because uh, I know, yeah, you're like you said, there's not there's not much time left before they don't want to hang out with me. I used um, to make fun of the people that were golfing. Like, how are you golfing? It's like five hours a day. You be hanging out with your kids. And then when they turn 16, they just bail out on you. And I'm sitting at home going, oh, wish I had started golfing earlier. Uh, <laughs> so, so your hobby now, and that will change. Just like we go back in time, you had the consulting and the and consulting for National Services Group and starting your solar, and you didn't have kids. You go to the next phase where the kids are young, and then soon you're going to be at the third phase. So just back to the... Um, Back to the just daily life. What's a, and I'm thinking of you as an entrepreneur and you as a, as a community activist. What's a daily life like? What could people listening to the show look forward to as a daily life after they've done the 100 hour um, weeks and after they've grinded it out through their 20s? What does it look like where you are now? Well, I, I think, you know, for me, families is super important. So I, I really try to work hard at different times in my life so that, you know, as a family, I can spend more time with the kids. So we do a lot of travel um, to, and to do that, I, I, you know, during certain weeks, I, I have to work a ton, you know? So um, I, I'm still an entrepreneur. I'm still in the very entrepreneurial mode of, Hey, I still wake up early. I still get out to the warehouse generally uh, pretty early. I, you know, I love seeing, you know, the guys and I love the relationship we've developed. Um, so I still get out to the warehouse a lot of times between seven and eight in the morning. Um, and I'll work through and, work with the people there and I'll work with my team. And um, usually I'm done by three or four, um, you know, in that time range. And then generally at that point, there's always things that are left over for me to do. So I, my, my goal is to try to be done by four, but sometimes that gets extended. And then I, I need to put time in also to try to manage my health a little bit. So I'll, I'll, I'll break out an hour or two uh, for that. Um, so, and then by the time that happens, you know, you're done and you, you come back home and hopefully, you know, you know, your kids are excited to see you. I guess sometimes they are, sometimes they aren't, but you know, you, you get to spend some like really uh, 
impactful time with the kids, you know, between six and eight. And, you know, I really try to reserve that time between six and eight to spend with the kids, to, to, to be with them and, you know, go on our neighborhood walks and, you know, or, or, or have the conversations uh, with them. So, and then, uh, yeah, after eight, it's, 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 I, I'm kind of working on, you know, different things about that are outside of the work workplace for me at least um and thinking about like well what what's my next thing i want to do from a from a standpoint of impacting you know in terms of clean water or whatever whatever other little projects that are going on in my in my life okay so and this goes back to organization you you need to pick what your priorities are and you need to align what you're doing with your long term priorities so i'm assuming you've got some sort of long term goal program that you manage. I'm assuming you have some sort of morning and evening routine. I'm assuming you're checking into five years out and three years out and maybe even more than that. Is that right? There's goals that obviously are, are a little bit flexible that are three and five years out. I I'm, I mean, I, there's those goals to me are, are things that I do really, really look at, but I don't put a ton of emphasis on, it, emphasis on them. I, I think one of the things that we we did a really good job at college works, like really working on was the difference between lagging and leading indicators. Right. And I think a lot of those five-year goals are sometimes just lagging indicators of all the hard work that you put in on a day-to-day basis. So I'm, I'm really a lot more focused on, you know, the day-to-day like, Hey, what, what do I need to do to like win the day? Yeah. Though the day-to-day with the end in mind. So you, so you're constantly prioritizing daily. And one of the priority priorities is, getting with the team, um, working with the people, working hard, really impacting. You probably do 16 hours worth of work in your eight-hour day. And then I just want to stress, you put your own oxygen mask on first before you put it on your kids. So you mentioned you're taking care of your health and self every day. I do the mountain biking or go to the gym or reading. Um, but there's an element of that. If you don't do that, it makes it harder to excel at work and harder to work in your family. Coincidentally, you and I, six to eight, that was my time before my kids got cars and abandoned me. Nobody ever called me six to eight. That's a priority. Everybody knows not to bug Johnny. He's put, And you know what? He's working. He's taking care of himself. He's taking care of his family. Without that, all these people that work with him would be suffering because he's fueled by the, the health and self and family part. And then at the end of the day, um, that could be spouse time. That could be community time. That could be relaxed time. But you've got these priorities through the day that's, you know, consciously, but not, not overly focused, are getting you to the point where you're going to solve this water issue. Your kids are going to find their passion. Um, you're going to stay married and into this loving relationship and your business is going to grow. Anything else about your day that's somewhat unique? Um, and thinking back to your 20s, you wish you knew this in your 20s that would help you get to where you are today? Um, I, yeah, you know, I don't think there's anything that unique. I think success how about spirituality is, and faith. How do you bring that into your life every day? Uh, spirituality and faith is very important to me, and it's very important to the family. Um, so that that is part of my life. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to talk a lot about it, but <laughs> on this on this show, but yeah, that is something that's very important. Wait, wait a think. second, because it's me. <laughs> just because I don't go to church, I had my own experiences at church, man. Uh, just because I don't don't go to church doesn't doesn't mean I don't value spirituality. I consider myself a spiritual person. So talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it. it you know, I I think in my life, I have seen so much, so many times where God has provisioned for me. And I have just, I have just felt so blessed. And it is just something that I, when I look at the totality of my life and, you know, and some of like the the ups and downs and where God has, has met me, it's been something that I, I know it's tough for, you know, people that aren't believers to understand, but it's a part of it is just, when you have that faith and and when you have that relationship one on one with your creator i think it's ultimately what kind of balances you and roots you in your day to day life and so how do you check in daily how do you improve that relationship yeah so it's it's one of those things where you know obviously you know i have time that i set aside for to do daily devotions is to spend time in the word which is the bible in 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 my in my faith right and then we're really really obviously big part of our, our, our church community where, you know, my, both of my wife and I, we serve and we, we work in our, in our community groups. And then obviously we're a big part of our, our church and all the activities around that. 
So you have part of your your morning routine, your evening routine, your daily rituals is remembering your faith, remembering your spirituality. Absolutely, yeah. Well, Johnny, thank you for sharing that. What what before we close up here, what would you want to share that we haven't talked about yet? What's on the tip of your mind that uh didn't come up in our talk today? Yeah, I think one thing is just I remember Chris Thompson, he used to always say that you need to seek advice from uh, people you want to become. And I just always knew that that having a strong community of people around you was critical to having like a life of excellence. And I, especially when I look at, I think, your relationship with uh, Matt, Jeff, and Spence and Jay, uh, I'm honestly a little bit jealous because I just see how rich you guys are in your relationship and how it's propelled your guys' life and careers. Um, and when you get married, I think what happens and you have kids, your social calendar starts to revolve around play dates and your social life is really around like your children's parents, right? So, and as a guy, you just kind of start to lose the sense of that brotherhood. And so in 2015, I decided to get together a group of six of us and we call actually call ourselves the accountability brothers. And we meet twice a year to do a retreat for a couple of days. And we have an agenda. We have a copy of each each other's goals for the year. We have a board book. So you'd be really proud because I know you love the board books. And we meet for several hours over two days and we sprinkle in obviously a lot of fun activities also. But in these uh, meetings, we share our struggles. Uh, we call each other out when, when it's needed. Um, we celebrate the wins. Uh, obviously, we console each other in our losses. And we've created an amazing bond over the years. And uh, we also, by the way, it, it all started with this common experience of having done CWP together. Who are the, who are the other five? Um, I have Justin Reese in there. I have Tim Rist. I have Sean, which actually came on the podcast uh, before. Uh, Sean, Rich. Sean. Sean Nachtigal. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have Rich Rich Headley in there and John Gillenhammer. Okay. Yeah, and, uh, you know, for me, it's amazing, like, when you surround yourself with, like, like-minded people that, you know, want to achieve, they they hustle, and they, they want to win both, like, professionally and personally, it really kind of pushes me to be a better version of myself each day. And, um, yeah, I think, like, a lot of our group, we've seen a lot of success over the, the years. We've done really well for ourselves. Um, when we first started the group, I had this loose benchmark of, hey, I want people that have at least, you know, let's put some measurables down, a million dollars in net worth and making at least $250,000 a year. And um, now if you kind of average out our, our income goals for in our group for 2023, it's right around seven figures. So we've, you know, we've grown tremendously over the last eight years and our average uh, person is about 37 years old. So uh, we've just seen a lot of success and a lot of it has to do with just the accountability, the strong accountability we have as a, as a men's group together. And, um, you know, it's not always like life is not always perfect for all of us in the group. We've had sessions where grown men are crying and being totally vulnerable. We've had uh, a person in the group that went through a really tough divorce. We've had another person struggle with alcoholism, but we've like really been there for each other, even in the midst of the dark moments to support each other and lift each other up. And to me, that's really what makes uh, these relationships so special because we ultimately, I think we all desire to have a community of our own. And I think when you find that community uh, or like that tribe that you can call your own, it really allows you to really achieve in your life. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, I'm sure you know this, but uh, I, I attribute everything to my uh, my business roundtables and I loved it so much. I became the volunteer chairman of the board for the globe. And it was, you know, half my work life was just devoted to the entrepreneurs organization. I belong to YPO. I belong to Vistage. Uh, there's Tiger 21. There's make your own the way Johnny did. And people used to say to me, Hey, how do you have enough time to do that? Cause you know, you have your, we, I do meetings once a month and then we go on a trip like you're talking about uh, once or twice a year. And I would say, how do you have time not to? Like you're going to go through life and make all the mistakes uh, as opposed to watching someone else make them and learn from them. You're going to go through life and um, keep plugging along without someone on the outside saying, hey, I see things differently than you. Have you thought about this? Um, you know, my, my business group, and we were thrown together randomly. We didn't do college works together. I've got two of them. They're my absolute best friends. When I, when I fell in Mexico, Joe John Duran's the guy that took care of my wife. Um, and I had to be medevaced. He ran point. Uh, you know, my friend Augie passed away yesterday. You know, every one of them's checking in with me to see how I'm doing. You know, 
check on his family, but it's just amazing. I, I could not imagine not having one of these business groups for emotional support, for ideas, for experience sharing. Um, of course, uh, your income has gone up by uh, uh, 4X since you guys started it. And I'm certain it wouldn't have without it. But I bet you the impact you've made on Columbia, the impact you've made on your church, the impact you made on your kids, the strength of your, your marriage, I bet the the improvement in that and the improvement in the tra trajectory of that um, far, far eclipses the monetary gain. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, really, like I, the other thing I, I absolutely wanted to bring up was just how the co conversation with like when you have like this kind of this passion around something. I just, you know, remember like I think it was 2018. I was sitting with my sales team. And I just shared, you know, the story of clean water and why I was passionate about it. And I, sh I shared the story about me having to pump water and, you know, the, the you know, I had, you know, the, the handle swung up and hit me in the face. And I, you know, pretty much that's how I got my scar. And uh, I just had that talk. And I think it really moved a lot of people on the team. And, you know, we all decided a few months later that we would do this Columbia project together. And we partnered with an NGO to raise this, you know, the hundred thousand dollars we needed to do the solar water farm and the solar project. So uh, for the, you know, past couple of years, right. Um, you know, we took a page out of CWP's uh, like playbook, right. We put away every job that we've done for solar. We've, we've put away money toward this project. And I really want to give my partner, Sam Smith. He was also an ex ex DM. Uh, that did call tricks all the credit here because he he like took this and he really spearheaded this endeavor and we raised a lot of money obviously by just doing jobs solar jobs and having a portion of the our profits go to that but he also did a lot of like really crazy like fundraisers i mean we probably did seven or eight fundraisers and we had so many very generous people that understood what we were doing and and also donated. We had so many clients that donated so much more than uh, we had ever anticipated to. And it did take us, you know, uh, two years to raise that money. But, you know, we we finally raised it together. So it's really good also when you have that passion to share that with other people because you just never know what it sparks off, right? You never know how that's going to impact somebody else. And I really feel like uh, a lot of the people on the team have really taken this passion and made it, made it their own. And I'm really proud of that for them. And what a great culture build. I mean, you, you definitely get the right people in your company when you're doing things like this. And when you're putting yourself forward and showing them what the company values are and the individuals in the in the in the company's values are. You want like you want people like that coming in and you're just reinforcing it with, you know, they all went down to Columbia with you. I mean, amazing. And then they're gonna come tell their friends and their friends are gonna want to come work. Uh, with Johnny and the team, because people want to go uh, hang out with people that share the same values as them and what wonderful values they have. Well, thank you for wrapping up with that, Johnny. And please tell everybody I said hi, especially Sean. I think about that guy a kind of a lot, actually. Uh, so tell everybody I said hi. Shout out to Sean. And, thank, and thanks again for coming on the show. Thanks so much, Matt. I hope you enjoyed that episode today on the Edge of Excellence podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to this. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this exact episode with them. This show exists to showcase what is possible when young leaders are willing to step out of their comfort zone and choose to excel in their lives. To learn more about our internship for young and ambitious students, www.oneinternship.com podcast to see if it's something that makes sense for you. Once again, it is www.oneinternship.com slash podcast. Let this be a reminder for you to live on the edge of excellence in your business and life. See you next time.